University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. There is not much <clears throat> in this world that will get me weepy like hearing some of my favorite songs in languages that aren't my own. Um, I don't know if you have a similar experience, but um, thank you all for blessing us with that this morning. Uh, thank you, choir, for beautiful music, Justin, for leading them and putting all of that together. Um, today is a little bit different than our normal Sundays. We're taking a break from our series on the parables because today, the first Sunday in October, is World Communion Sunday. And if you weren't aware, we're not the only church doing this. Churches around the world are doing the same thing that we're doing, though it might look a little bit different. We're celebrating communion, focusing our attention on unity, on the way that we are all bound together in this body of faith. But I want to tell you very briefly um, about a family tradition it's a simple one that my family has. Since I was a kid, even before I have memory of it, uh, my family has made a point of going to the beach together, if we can manage it, every year. It's sort of a loose, simple tradition that we've adopted together, just to spend time with one another. In the last 10 years or so, since both my sister and I have moved away from our home state of Virginia, these beach trips have become a wonderful way for our family to get together. We'll often meet in the middle somewhere, up in North Carolina, maybe the Outer Banks or Topsail Beach. Anybody been to Topsail Beach? Okay, we need to have a conversation later. There are few and far between down here in Louisiana probably, but it's one of my favorite places on the planet. My family is very, very good at just chilling out and relaxing. We don't usually go into these trips with much of a plan other than to have plenty of good food around, a board game or a puzzle, and a spirit of ease to permeate the week. And while it doesn't happen every year, I can count on the fact that at some point in the near future, I'll be able to celebrate this time with my family again. You likely have family traditions of your own, some perhaps more formalized than others, Take a moment just to think about them. Maybe a favorite tradition that your family has. Maybe it's an annual vacation or the way you celebrate a holiday or a birthday. These traditions become something that we can count on, something we can look forward to, and which serve as a way of binding us together. And so in the brief time that we have this morning, I want to offer a word about a family tradition that we share as a community of faith, as the church. If you haven't guessed it, that family tradition is communion. And so we come today to a passage of scripture that brings into focus this family tradition that started a long, long time ago one of the earliest traditions that we have as a church, really gets at the heart of what the church is all about. 
I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it again until it's fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Keep this passage in the back of your mind. Churches around the world are celebrating in this moment our unity together, our togetherness and our connectedness as a global community of faith. And this is something that's been done for about 90 years in some form or another on the first Sunday of October. It started with a Presbyterian pastor named Hugh Kerr who was the pastor of Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. In an attempt to bring his church and local congregations together in Christian unity, they held their first worship service for World Communion Sunday, before it was known as such, at their church in 1933. It was then ad adopted denomination-wide in the Presbyterian Church in 1936, and in 1940, what is now known as the, the National Council of Churches promoted extending the celebration to churches around the world. What began as a small attempt to symbolize unity in one church and one community grew into a global celebration. And it took on even more meaning the more the idea spread. When Pastor Kerr's son, Donald, who was also a pastor, and he was a teenager at the time that this began, when he was asked how the idea of World Communion Sunday spread from that first service to the worldwide practice that it is today, this is what he had to say. The concept spread very slowly at the start. People didn't give it a whole lot of thought. But it was during the Second World War that the spirit caught hold because we were trying to hold the world together. Worldwide communion symbolized the effort to hold things together in a spiritual sense. It emphasized that we are one in the spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a world which was coming apart at the seams. This symbolic celebration of world communion sent a message to the rest of the world around them that while we might all come from different nations and backgrounds, 
while we might all have vastly different life experiences, while we all might be at war with one another, there is hope. In a world today, that appears to be coming apart at the seams. We celebrate World Communion Sunday today as a way of hanging on to our hope that we can find togetherness and community even as different as we all might be. The Apostle Paul said it well in the book of Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's been said another way. That there is no difference among us which is greater than the unity we share. I'll say that again. There is no difference that could be greater than the unity that we share. One of the reasons that this is so significant, perhaps especially these days, is because when we approach one another first by recognizing our togetherness and our unity and what binds us together, we don't have to be afraid of our differences, but we can celebrate them. We don't have to be afraid of the things that are different about the person that we might be afraid of or nervous about. Because what binds us together is stronger than those differences. And so we can then celebrate them instead. There's a danger, though, in misunderstanding this idea. What we often try to do is squash our differences, whitewash them, in a misguided attempt to bring people together. But that's not unity. There's another word, uniformity, that describes that. And that's not what the church is after. If there's one thing that's been abundantly clear since the earliest days of the Christian church, it's that this is not meant to be a uniform church. Never was, never has been. It's meant to be a diverse church. A community where we can celebrate and enjoy the things that are different about each person in this room, each congregation in Baton Rouge, each denomination in the United States, every community around the world. None of us could possibly bear the beauty and magnitude of God alone. For the church to reflect this vast and beautiful image of God back to the world around us, we need all the vast and beautiful diversity of the human community created in the image of God. And so we look at one another, not with suspicion or hesitation or uncertainty, but instead seeing that you have something to show me about the character of God. And hopefully I have something to show you about the character of God. Something that you or I might not be able to see on our own. You might prefer a certain style of worship music that I don't. You might feel called to a certain ministry that I don't. 
One group might be Baptist, another Catholic. One group might baptize by immersion, another by sprinkling, etc., etc., etc. The scriptures don't say you are one in praise guitar worship or you are one in choir anthems. They don't say you are one in baptizing by immersion or baptizing by sprinkling. The scriptures don't even say you are one in your care of the poor or in your work to build the kingdom of God. The scriptures say you are one in Christ Jesus. You are one in something that you didn't Christ has made us one. In the passage that I read earlier from the Gospel of Luke, a passage that is referenced in some way every time we celebrate communion together here, we're reminded of a couple of things. It's easy for us to look at the disciples as a monolithic group. But there were very significant differences between those young men. Much like the differences in our global church or even here at UBC today. There were fishermen among the 12. There was a tax collector, presumably who made his living off the backs of those modest fishermen. There were carpenters and builders. There were some who were more peaceful and meek. And there were others who were zealots, who wanted to bring hellfire and sword down on their enemies. There were some with Greek names and heritage, and some with Hebrew names and heritage. And Jesus called these young men together to follow him, to bring each of their own uniqueness to the movement. I want you to do something real quick. I want you to look around the room for a moment. Everyone will be doing it, and it won't be weird. Okay? I want you to really look around the room, turn your heads, maybe turn in your seat if you need to, and notice who is here. You might make eye contact with someone. Again, it's okay. <laughs> notice who's here in the room. There are some in this room who are from a different state or a different country than you are. There are some who are much older or much younger than you are. There are some who are students, while you might be a working professional, or vice versa. There are some who voted Republican in the last election. And there are others who voted Democrat in the last election. By the way, I wonder if you can remember a time that the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Convention got together in the same room for a celebration. Has that ever happened? Yet here we are. There is an incredible amount of diversity just in this room. Just in this room right here today. The disciples 
help us to see what we might do with this diversity. And after roughly three years of journeying together, of learning and growing and screwing up and seeing miracles and being amazed, Jesus invites them to this table. With the one night that he had left with these young men, one final opportunity he had to teach them something. This is what he did. He invited them to share a meal. He didn't take them down to the synagogue to hear a sermon. He didn't perform a miracle that they could watch and be amazed at. He didn't even take them outside into the streets to serve the poor. With his final moments with his disciples, he brought them around the table. I like to think that Jesus knew that if he sent them out into the world without first reminding them of what binds them together, that they would flounder. They wouldn't make it. They had their differences down the road. Some of them got angry at each other. Some of them left and went off on their own direction. But they always had this to hang on to, that there was more that bound them together than drove them apart. He calls them to remember him every time that they thought about him, everything that he had taught them, everything they had journeyed together in and struggled through. Around this table, he invites them to remember what is most important. And he invites us to do the same today. Sharing communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, whatever anyone happens to call it, is a twofold celebration. We remember, as Jesus instructed his disciples to do, to remember him. In communion, we remember that first meal that they shared. We remember the life that Jesus gave. But in communion, we also celebrate our unity, our togetherness. Communion is an act that isn't done alone, but with people, with a community. As we are reminded that we all share the same source of life. So this morning we will take communion together. And we invite you to come down to the front to receive the elements, if you're able, and take them back to your seat with you where we will... Um, eat together in a few minutes. There'll be two stations. John and I will be down here at the front. We ask that you come down the middle aisles first and then exit out the side aisles back to your seats. If you are unable to come to the front, uh, just raise your hand and someone will come and bring uh, the elements to your seat. I invite you uh, to come forward as you're able.